You're listening to Wiretap with Jonathan Goldstein. Today's episode, Obsessions. I wish that I was obsessed. Uh, when, I was, when I was younger and when I kind of started to develop my personality as, a, as an adult being, like when I was in high school, I started to uh, want to be an artist. But, but to me, the understanding of what it meant to be an artist, like all those models of great genius artists, is they're all these incredibly obsessed people, and they're obsessively driven, or they're obsessed with one idea their entire life, or they dress obsessively bizarre, like they wear the same set of clothes every day of their life, or they're so consumed with their work that they forget to eat, and they forget to bathe, and... Uh, you know, like John Cage, would, he had all these stories about how he worked until uh, five in the morning scrubbing um, the, the bathrooms at the at the YMCA, and then he'd come home and, and he'd start composing, and then he'd compose until he had to go to work again. I mean, you know, that you you can't really do that unless you're you're basically completely insane, and that to me was the model of what it meant to be creative and what it meant to be a genius. And when you're 17 years old, I think the idea of being a genius, at least to me, was very appealing. So I made this connection somehow in my mind that in order to be creative and in order to be uh, a genius, you had to be obsessive and eccentric and, and eccentric in your ob- ob- obsessions. Um, and so I guess I, I associated those two things so strongly with with each other, creativity and obsession, that I really wanted to be uh, obsessive because I thought that would be the path to genius, sort of. And the, the truth of the matter is that I'm actually pretty normal. Like, I'm pretty well-balanced. Um, I'm not a particularly details-oriented person, so I'm not... I, I'm not a perfectionist. I'm not. Um, I'm not obsessed with getting things right, and uh, I'm not obsessed with like uh, um, making my art particularly great. You know, I, I mean, I'm a musician, and uh, and I'm not obsessed with practicing. Really, I don't really like practicing all that much. And you hear all these stories about these guys that practice. Coltrane, John Coltrane, supposedly used to, and, and Jimi Hendrix, actually, both of them. Stories are that they wouldn't put their instrument down. You know, they walk to the store and they would bring their. Um, they bring their instruments with them and they practice as they were walking down the street. And to be honest, like, it's just not that interesting to me. But, um, but I felt like if I were that kind of guy, uh, then I would be a better musician. I would be a, a better artist. And so, you do, you know, I would start do these things. I would carry my instrument with me. I play the saxophone and I would carry it with me. I mean, I'd carry it in the bag because I didn't actually want to walk around and practice it. But, but it's like you, um, you create this public image of yourself as somebody who always has his instrument with him, right? And, um, I was cultivating this image of this guy who, who couldn't be away from his instrument for more than 15 minutes because I had to, um, I had to be practicing all the time, but I, actually, in truth, I hate practicing, and I and I don't do it that often. Um, I don't have the discipline to be what to be obsessive. Like all my habits, um, 
are pretty wasteful. Like I click my teeth together in, in patterns, you know, and I do it all the time, basically. And the more coffee I drink, the more I do it. Or I tap my fingers, uh, I tap my fingers against my thumb in, in parallel patterns on my two hands, you know. I do it all the time. Literally, I'm walking down the street, or I'm on the subway, or whatever, and I'm doing it with my hands. Or I'm, I'm, I tap one thing with my right hand, and then I tap the same thing with my left foot, and then I tap something with my left hand, I tap it with my right foot. So I like, I'm constantly doing like that, but it, those are not useful obsessions. For instance, also right now I um I moved back home to live with my parents. I'm actually um well I'm I'm broke from trying to be a musician, but um but I'm I'm sort of obsessed with with um the fact that my stepmother might be listening in on my phone calls. It's I think it's happened a few times, and uh, and so I start to just hear it all the time. Like, have you heard anything? we've been on the phone so far like hear hear what well like there you can hear like a clicking or like somebody getting on the phone you know like mm. somebody on somebody picking up another extension in another room or something no I'm, i haven't heard anything you didn't hear anything because i thought i i thought i heard a clicking you didn't hear that uh no well anyways i i sometimes i mean i um i don't know what she would be listening for but i I sometimes feel like um, she gets on the phone when I'm home, and I, I mean I know she's done it at, uh, a couple times, and then I can't stop. Um, I kind of I kind of think she does it all the time now, even though I know. I mean I think that she doesn't, you know, like like I, even when she's not home, sometimes I think I hear like a clicking on the phone, like somebody else picking up in the other room, because it hap it's happened. I mean like uh, whatever. This is this is just I'm just talking about how. Uh, my the things that I wind up like uh, fixating on are totally they're not useful for anything. You know, it's like I can't turn that into a um, that's not a skill to be to be worried that um, my stepmother, uh, if she were listening, like if she's like listening on the phone. You know, so I just I guess I just sometimes I mean I still to this day wish that some of my obsessions could be more. Wait 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 right there did you hear that? Mm, what? Wait listen. I can hear someone breathing. You don't hear that? And I don't think so. Maybe it's just me. You don't hear like a TV in the background, or just like very, very faintly. Hello, what do you think I'm saying? Like I'm on the phone right now, you know? Hello, you don't hear anything? No. Wait, hang on. Hello. Hello. Anyway, anyways. Um, what are we talking about? I basically just came up with two voices uh, for my cats. I don't even know where I got the idea for it, but it just started. And uh, I had a theory a long time ago that each animal has a voice, has a character, that you can actually find once you get to know the cat, dog, or whatever the hell it is. And it started as like just a little joke that I, that I was doing, you know, for my girlfriend or whatever. But over time, like, it just became like, it, it was like a hobby at first, but then it just became like what I did. I even actually have conversations by myself with my cats. Like, for example, my girlfriend was away and um, Susie was doing something bad. So I lapsed into, like, she was knocked over a book or something. So I lapsed into my voice and um, I started talking to her. And I'm completely alone. 
at this point. Like, there's nobody around. Why am I doing this? But I, I from, what did I say? I said, um, uh, I said, Susie, I'm going to send you to the uh, to the farm, to the what is it, to the to the glue factory, to turn you into like horse food. And uh, I, she was actually upset at me. She's like, "You're a liar! I don't believe you." And then the male cat, Augie, is like, "No, it's the truth. You're a very bad cat." When I started to freelance working at home, it got to the point where I'd say, like, I it was almost all, not all day, but close to all day that I'd be just talking to the cat. Wow, at the exclusion of like other things that you that you had to be getting done. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And um, they'll comment, you know, ironically on what you're doing. You know, oh, it, 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 it's so smart that you're sitting here talking to me when you could be working. You know. Or the phone will ring and someone calling, you know, it's, it could be important about work and I won't pick it up. You know, it's really, it's like that old horror movie where the ventriloquist dummy suddenly starts talking back to the master. and Magic, yeah. Ma- yeah, magic. And uh, there's that movie Dead of Night from mm-hmm. 1945. It's really amazing what will come out of these cats' mouths because you so become these other characters. Like, they, they, they are their own people. They're their own personalities. They have lives. They have adventures. They have things they've done. Um, and that are able to see you in a way that you don't see yourself. And tell you things about yourself that you're not even, you're not even entirely aware of. You, you get to the point where you're really quite convinced that it's real. Like, that these are, these cats have real identities. That they, this is real people you're talking to. Shopping with Shelly uh, for some uh, baby clothes for my uh, niece's birthday was coming up, and uh, there was this uh, little like beret, you know, um, because the thing is, Susie, in her in her previous life, she was she used to sell um, cigarettes, um, like you know those uh, in in the thirties they'd have like cigarette girls go around hotels and go cigar cigarette, so they had like this little chapeau kind of thing that. Um, I knew it wouldn't exactly fit her, but I thought, you know, it would kind of flop on her head. Like, I thought it would look kind of funny, you know. And uh, so, I, so I got it, you know. And um, Shelly did think it was a little bit weird, I guess. But she certainly, you know, it was, it was kind of a funny thing. So I got it for her. And the funny thing, I don't know if you've ever put, like, clothes on cats, is they don't really I respond. haven't. Hmm? Oh, you haven't, yeah. Well, cats don't generally respond very well to, um, to clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, like, let's say I had a, a, my dog, uh, Sally, um, you could put almost anything on her. You get little booties, you could put a sweater on. I had this beautiful little zip-up kind of jumpsuit type thing that she, she loved it. Uh, when I was a kid, I had a hamster, and uh, I made, like, little booties for it. And, like, you just tie it around kind of thing. Like you do, you, it, it was maybe, I don't know, I don't, I don't think the hamster liked it. But uh, cats, when you do it, they... Um, they kind of go to their what they what I call their special place, where they're just um, they don't move, you know. They just kind of sit there, and uh, they get very very low to the ground, and they just kind of like they're prepared for the worst, you know. It's like it's it's really quite a terrible thing to do to them, but it's kind of funny. So you'll tie a hat to them or put like little booties on or something, and they they just they squirm when you're doing it. And they're like they do this kind of thing. But once you get it on, they uh, they don't move. 
they just don't move. They just sit there, like just coiled against the ground, right? And then, <clears throat> so it makes it a bit hard to do the voice, but, uh, but you work that in. You know, you're just like, I can't believe you did this to me, you son of a bitch. Yes, take a picture, put it on the internet, you freak. Look at me now. What have you done to me? Get some help. You know, things like that. But it's, it's part of the fun. Well, it's been now about three months. Uh, I think three months in a week, but it doesn't matter. Since uh, Shelly and I broke up and she moved out. And, um, you know, it's funny, for the purpose of this conversation, I'm sure it would sound like it's because of all this nonsense I did with the cats. But it's not. I mean, it, I mean, she had her issues with it. She used to say that I talked more through the cats than to her, and I, I guess it's true. Uh, I mean, it was pretty much, at the end, that's all I did was talk through the cats. I Any single thing, conversation I had with her was from the cats. You know, either Susie or Augie was the one talking to her, not me. Um, but uh, I, I guess what's uh, too bad about it, I miss her, but I also miss, I miss Susie because Susie was her cat. And she took Susie, so it's just me and Augie. And um, Susie was the star of the show. And she was the one who had the history, the past, the, the takes on things. Her takes on things were hysterical. Augie is kind of like, he doesn't really say much. And he doesn't have many, many takes on anything, you know? So it's like I sit around, we watch TV together. And our conversations are so pathetic, you know? It's like, she'll, he'll say things like, Ah, not much on TV tonight, eh? You know, and I'm like, yep. Not much on TV tonight, Augie. Does Augie ever ask about Susie? Oh, God, yeah. I tell, I do part of my, my only good material with Augie, the only good stuff I have that actually brings a smile to my face is when I talk about what Susie's doing. You know, like I tell him, I'm like, um, you know, Susie's gone away, right, Augie? He's like, yes, I know. I'm like, uh, well, she, she's gone back to France. She's joined her family. And then we kind of muse about her and how we miss her. You know, it's just really kind of crazy. But that's about the only stuff we have enthusiasm for. That's like the only good material is talking about Susie. I mean, sometimes I don't know who I miss more, Shelly or Susie. I moved to New York when I got out of college, and I got a this. this I, I moved to the East Village. I'd never heard of it before, and um, I got a scary little apartment, and I lived there by myself. And where, where were you coming from? Long Island. You know, I graduated from college, and I sold my horse, and I moved into this really scary neighborhood where people were getting shot on street corners all the time. And you know, I didn't know anything about living in New York, and. Um, yeah, I went to, <laughs> I went to a couple of parties and people took me to bars downtown and I started going to bars by myself and you know, it was a really beautiful night and a friend of mine was going away to Paris and I went to a party down on Duane Street and 
I was walking around. It wasn't even dark yet, so I, I went by this little bar named Barnabas Rex that, that was this tiny, tiny hole in the wall, and this guy just started talking to me. This guy who was, I don't know, he's like 28 or 29, had a full head of gray hair, very, very startling looks, and we spent the next couple of hours together dancing, and finally I, I got him to call me a taxi, and went home and before I did that I gave him my phone number and I thought eh, you know he's never gonna call me up so I was so surprised when the phone rang and I heard this voice hey Sally you know, want to come over and I was so excited because he was older than me you know I was only like 22 or 23 and here's this older guy god he was ancient he was 29 and what, what, what was his name Jeff okay that was Jeff 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 <laughs> Jeff, the constant Jeff. We talked to each other a lot. I would call him up, and he'd talk for a long, long time on the phone. We'd get together and do things. Mostly we went poking around in, in um, abandoned parts of New York that I don't think are there anymore. And, um, you know, I remember thinking, this is great. This is the greatest thing. I really want to be with this guy. He's so wonderful. I've never known anybody like this. And um, But every time that started to come out, he'd sort of start to shrink away from me, and so I'd just kind of shut up, and the day would end. And, you know, a couple of weeks later, we'd see each other again. Mm -hmm. But I was so excited by it. I thought that he really had a, a talent for seeing the beauty in things. And... Um, I think it was why he was so wired all the time, was that he was always so excited. Look at this. This is so great. You know, let's go, um, let's climb to the top of the American Express building on the on Old Slip in the South Street Seaport. He showed me about how to sneak around to the top and climb up this fountain, and you could lie down on it and look across the, you could look across the river, the East River at Brooklyn and all the neon and stuff like that. And I thought, well, I guess I've really arrived now. And, and and you were sort of falling in love with him. Oh well, yeah, yeah. But I, of course, I would never tell him that. I wanted I wanted to live with him. I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to move into his loft. You know, I wanted to I wanted to get drunk with him at night, drink beer, and sing songs, and you know, go move to the country and you know, buy a house or something. But I was only twenty three. I knew that would never happen. When was the last time that you saw him? Oh, man. Um, yeah, it was just a hot summer day. And then he stayed the night with me and got up and left. We, the next, we went out to breakfast the next morning. He split, and that was it. That was the last time you saw him? Yeah. And how many years ago was that? 24, probably 24 years. About 24 years ago. Yeah. And so how long did your whole relationship with him last about? I don't think it was any longer than maybe at the most three years, but that was with many, many months, like eight or ten or eleven months of distances sometimes between meetings. So then altogether, how much, you know, minusing out these breaks of eleven months that you had, how much time altogether would you say that you actually spent with him as, as his girlfriend, I guess? If I if I added it all up, I could count it on both hands, I swear. Meaning? 
Ten, maybe. Ten separate meetings, if that. You only went on ten separate dates. I, that's what I think. I mean, but I just remember everything that happened, everything I did. During the years afterwards, during the, the, mm-hmm. the 25 years afterwards, yeah. how, how often did you find yourself thinking about him? Oh, often. I, God, I mean, weekly. Maybe even daily. God, you know, I, 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 uh, yeah, I wrote and I, I started writing. I wrote an article about a guy who was a type designer, and I thought, wow, yeah, he'd really dig this. Or I do, you know, I go do music reviews or something like that, and um, and I even it was a spooky thing. I was writing for newspapers, and I was thinking he's out there somewhere, and he's reading this, and I even kind of dropped references to him in a couple of things that I wrote. It's kind of like waving, being on TV and waving to your mother, you know. <laughs> but I used to do that. And I kept thinking, he's out there, he's reading this. I know he is. I swear, everywhere I went where I thought he might be, I'd look for him. You know, they have, I think that people... I think there's a, such a thing as a sort of a template that you can install in your mind. And if there's something in particular that you really, really, really want to find, it's like a filter. And you sort of scan everything to see if anything pops into your filter. And so I had my little scan, my little scanning apparatus going. For, for him? Yeah. You know, he had a very, he had a distinctive profile and some odd mannerisms. Like um, the way he used to touch his pinky to the corner of his mouth or he'd look down when he laughed or talk out of the side of his mouth. And, um, you know, I was very, very aware of that. So, but yeah, there was the, the, the mannerisms, the voice, the, you know, the, the laughing, stuff like that. I mean, how, how much can you remember about somebody that you've only seen 10 times? I, a lot, I suppose. Just by virtue of how much time passed and how you continued to think about him, did it, did you find it surprised you as the years began to just heap up? Yeah. And it began to just continue on and on? I felt like there was something wrong with me. Um, I felt like there was some... I, I'd, I'd always heard in health class in high school that, yeah, I know this is really primitive, but the teacher used to tell us, well, there are regions in your brain that could stimulate them with electrodes, and you pop out with some memory that you'd forgotten. And I thought that my, my wiring was short-circuited, and I just kept cycling on this idea. And it didn't, you know, become a... It wasn't really a tender sort of personal yearning anymore sometimes. It was just a, 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 a thing that pinched. And, and I wanted it to stop, and I couldn't make it stop. Were there other relationships? I imagine that there were other relationships that came afterwards with people who you were more compatible with. Well, over the course of the years, I actually met a guy at an art colony who looked so much like him. So I went with this guy for a while. He's a painter. He lives in Brooklyn, but he was a total savage. It was scary. And then there was one who had a, a, a very similar personality, but was a lot more kind of worldly and normal. <laughs> he used to take me to the baseball games in his Mustang. That was kind of fun. But he wound up getting married, and um, I eventually got married. So 
there was kind of like, well, that's the end of that. Your husband, how did he feel about, you know, you're your, your thinking about Jeff as often as you were? I, I, I don't think that he had any idea, and, uh, or much of an idea until... Um, I think it was our anniversary, our eighth anniversary. We went out to this kind of not particularly interesting restaurant in Hudson where we were living, and I was eating, facing the door, eating bratwurst or something like that. And I, I heard this voice, and I went, no, wait a minute. And I was looking up at the bar, and I heard it again. And then I heard the I heard the words Bennington, Vermont, and I thought this is this is definitely a clue because I went to Bennington, and I looked up and I saw this profile and I saw the guy chewing on his pinky and I went, I said to my husband, "Don't move, I'll be right back," and my heart was pounding and I was sweating and everything and I walked up to this guy at the bar and I I was even afraid to ask him who he was but I knew who it was and I was thinking this can't be. You know, here I am in Columbia County, New York, and I walked up and I touched him on the shoulder and he looked at me. And I, I, I couldn't even say his name. I went, are you from Long Island? And he looked at me and his eyes went completely wide. And he sort of gasped and he said, I've been trying to find you. Oh, and I thought I was going to fall over. I was so nervous I could hardly talk. I was shaking. We had this brief kind of manic conversation and I touched him jeff on the elbow having established that it was him even though he looked different and went over to get jd and said come on let's we're going to beat this guy this old friend of mine at the bar J- jb's your husband yeah and um we talked together for a few minutes and we exchanged business cards and i went and sat in the car and i was driving i always drove you know and i my husband and i went places and i just put my head in my hands and i looked down for a while and i started laughing and i was just going oh my god and my husband looked at me and goes, well, what do you mean? What's the matter? <laughs> and I'd go like, oh, never mind, never mind, never mind. And I, I eventually had to tell him a little bit about what had been going on in my head all these years because otherwise it wouldn't have made any sense. And um, I got up the next morning and locked myself in the bathroom and cried. I just felt so dislocated. And what happened to my past? Where? Why am I, why am I here? Why am I doing what I'm doing? So I let him out a month and a half go by, and I, I called Jeff up and said, "All right, listen, you probably don't have time for this, but um, you know, we bet we better get together before we're all wearing bifocals and walking with a cane." And I thought he was going to like give me the usual brush off, the way he had many, many years ago when we used to hang out together. But instead, he said, "No, no, 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 no. How about tomorrow night?" So we made an arrangement, and that was the beginning of, you know, the new phase where it was like. We were within reach of each other, um, living in neighboring towns, and we were going to be friends. Jeff didn't have anything to do with why my marriage broke up, but when I was really, really struggling with it, he helped me out a lot. Did Did you ever feel as though you you might be in love with him? Yeah. Yeah, there was one there was one moment last summer when it was like passing too close to a burning building. And but it 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 came and went and um but it was a it was a it was sort of a dangerous juncture. Did you did you tell him about how you just wanted to be be his girlfriend? No. Oh no, 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 no. That's too romantic. 
Because, you know, in a lot of ways, I mean, this this whole story has the, the trajectory of a romantic kind of love story yeah. where, you know, two people are out, out of touch and they continue to think about them or one, one party continues to think about the other party for a long time. But why do you think that this story isn't that kind of story? Um, I think it's because of him. I think that there's some great sense of, of, of reserve that he felt about it. But at least if I want to find him, I can call him up and I know he'll talk to me. Are you, are you content with that? Well, now, now I am, I think, because what happened was when all I wanted was to have him somewhere where I could find him. And, and now he is. I, we're friends. We talk on the phone. We get together. He knows everything about me, and it's 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 great. He just is not a disappearing element anymore. And and the funniest thing was that all the obsessive, weird memories that I had of him once we became friends again just sort of started to to fade. I thought they never would, but but now I'm I'm less kind of tied up with the past than I used to be. It's a little sad. I didn't didn't want them to go away, but... You didn't want what to go away? The memories. I guess maybe there are things in the past that you always want to keep coming back to. And that hoping that they'll never really change. The voices you heard on Wiretap today were Scott Rosenberg... James Hurst, and Sally Ekov. Wiretap is written and performed by Jonathan Goldstein and produced by Jonathan Goldstein with Carolyn Warren. Sarah Gilbert is the associate producer. Next week on Wiretap, Diaries.